Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. There is a fountain filled with blood Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Church, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the blood of Jesus. Blood that he willfully shed for my salvation. Blood that he bled for my healing. Blood that he spilt for my cleansing. Blood that he gave for my ransom. Blood that he offered for my deliverance. Blood that he provided for my transformation. Blood that he sacrificed for my redemption. Blood that he poured out for my atonement. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. In church, we sing about the blood. We talk about the blood in this church. We don't do it enough, but we're gonna do it more for a while here. Because there is power 
in the blood, the blood of Jesus. Unbelievable power that I don't think I can help you understand or make you understand. It has to be a revelation from God. So God, give us a revelation of the power that is in your blood today and over the next few weeks. Because this is something, church, we need to absolutely understand. The miraculous power that is in the blood of Jesus. You see, church, blood itself is a unique substance. Probably the most unique substance on the face of the earth. It's mysterious, even. I mean, why is it that the sight of blood in reference to medical procedures can make some people squeamish, while those same people don't seem to care at all about seeing blood on a hockey or football jersey. People cheer when they see their favorite boxer draw blood from their opponent. But when we see it on the faces or bodies of those victimized by war or crime or even accidents, we look away with sorrow. It even makes us heartbroken for them. It's mysterious to me. I mean, I can't, I, I, I can gut a deer, right? I can get my hands in there and gut a deer and get blood all over my hands and not think a thing about it, yet I like my steak, and, and I like my steak rare, rare enough to have some red juice leak out in the plate. Some of you, that's gross, but I don't, that doesn't bother me. But the first time that I had to have blood taken for a life insurance policy, Alyssa and I were at the kitchen table and a lady who took my blood tied off my arm and found a vein, poked me and filled up a small vial. And I know this all because Alyssa told me because I don't remember a thing. I hit the table. I, <laughs> I broke out into a cold sweat. I wasn't even looking at the needle. I wasn't even thinking about it. Just boom. And as I came to, I could hear the lady talking to Alyssa about how this happens all the time, especially with men. Then they started talking about needles and such, to which I just said, please quit talking about that. <laughs> okay. It's so weird. Why does this substance create such different reactions within people? And it's not just people's reactions that are mysterious. The substance itself is beyond human comprehension. With all of man's knowledge and all of their experiments, science can explain it. And mankind has not been able to replicate blood they can't just make it in a lab. We do know, however, the chemical makeup of it. We know that blood is made up of cellular material, water, amino acids, proteins, carbohydrates, lipids, hormones, vitamins, electrolytes, dissolved gases, and cellular waste. We know that blood makes up about 8% of our body's weight. We know that the average adult human has five liters of blood in their body. We know a lot about blood. We know that our blood has our personal DNA in it, the specific personal blueprint that makes us unique. We know what happens when we spin blood in a centrifuge. It, it will separate into three basic parts, about 55% plasma on top, a small percent of white blood cells and platelets underneath that, and then about 45% red blood cells on the bottom. We know that it has a memory, blood has a memory. It holds information that can give us insight to what diseases it may or may not have been infected with in the past. We know that we can put it in the refrigerator and save it. We know that there are eight different types of blood. Four main groups are type A, B, A, B, and O. And then each one of these can either be RHD positive or RHD negative. 
As long as two people have the same blood type, they can give one another blood if needed. By the way, race doesn't matter with that. Anybody from any race can have different kinds of blood type. And if it matches mine, I can take it no matter what, and it's no different, because we're all children of God. We know a lot about blood, but what is not understood far outweighs what we understand. It is an absolutely mysterious substance. Flesh cannot live without the life that is within the substance of blood. And I've talked about this before, but it always amazes me when I think about it. When a heart transplant is performed, they have to clamp off the arteries, right? They take the old heart out. The, the blood flow stops. There's, they, they clamp that off. The blood flow stops to the heart. They take that heart out, and they take the new heart, which has been harvested from someone who's maybe been in an accident, and their, their brain no longer is functioning or working. They say they're brain dead. We don't like those kinds of words because they're, they're, they're harsh, and they're so final. But then their heart still is, is good, and so they take that heart out. They put it on ice. They carry it in one of those coolers, right? I think they do anyway. It's on ice, and they take that heart out, and they begin to sew it in to, to, the, to the body in which they took the heart out, and then they, they unclamp the clamps when all that is done. When everything's attached, the heart hasn't beat yet, and as soon as blood hits that heart, the heart starts beating. They don't have to shock it. Did you know that? Because life is in the blood. There's this thing, this, this substance that, that it is life itself, and it's within blood. What's in it that causes a pump that's made out of flesh to just work? To pump and circulate this life-giving substance throughout our bodies? Leviticus 17.11a says this, and this is the main verse I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of hang out on this morning. I'm not going to get too deep into the subject because we're going to talk about blood all the way up to Easter. But Leviticus 17.11a says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. This life that we have in this fleshly body. Everybody go like this. This is your fleshly body. Don't hit yourself too hard. This life that we have in this fleshly body is found in the blood. And let's be clear, blood itself is not life. Life is somewhere within the substance of blood. And it's mysterious how it works. It's far beyond the mere chemical makeup of it. And as mysterious and amazing as our blood is, it doesn't hold a candle to the blood and the power that is in his blood, the blood of Jesus. It doesn't hold a candle to it. You see, the blood of Jesus was of a divine nature, not an Adamic nature. He was not conceived, Jesus was not conceived like a normal child. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was pure. He was sinless. He was the epitome of innocence. 
The blood that flowed through his veins was not a mixture of Mary and God's blood. It was his father's blood and his father's blood alone. And we could get into the theological ramifications of that and how, how you get to that, but, but I don't have time to do that this morning. We can talk about that one-on-one over coffee if that interests you. But what I want you to understand is that the blood of Jesus was special. It was, in fact, there isn't a theme in all of Scripture that is more pronounced than the theme described by the words, the blood. It's all throughout, which refers, of course, to Jesus' blood. Blood is mentioned or referred to over 700 times in the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation. It's really all about the blood. I'm reminded of a scene from the Passion of the Christ right after Jesus was at the whipping post and they take him away and Mary comes out with, her, with the white linens and she begins wiping up the blood off the, the stone floor, I guess, is, is the way the, the movie depicts it. And that's not found in scripture. That scene's not there. But I think it speaks, and I, I love that scene because it speaks of the preciousness of Jesus' blood. It's precious. It's special. It's not like our blood. It's way beyond Turn to your neighbor and say, it's way beyond. It's way beyond. And you don't, we, we know that we don't even understand the life that is in our blood, let alone the life that is in his. It's not even comparable. We just read that the life of the flesh is in the blood. In Leviticus 17, 11. But just as the natural blood that runs through our veins has life in it, I want you to understand this, and that blood gives us life to our flesh, so the blood of Jesus can give life to our spirit. There is power in the shed blood of Jesus to bring life to our spirit man. See, we are body, we are soul, we are spirit, right? We are body, we are this flesh, We are soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we are spirit, a spirit man. And you've heard me preach before that the part of us that lives forever, when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you die in this life, your fleshly body dies, the part of you that lives forever is your soul and your spirit. It goes to heaven, and you're there for all eternity. Amen? For those of you that have lost a loved one recently, or even, in the, the, even at all, and, and you think about them still, guess what? If they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are more alive than they ever have been. And that's something to rejoice about. We miss them desperately, sure, but they are alive and well, more than they ever have been in heaven. I love preaching about that because it's, our, it's hope. It's hope and it's real. But we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Jesus said in John 6, 53, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, that's that's him, Jesus, and drink his blood, you have no life in me. You have no life in you, I'm sorry. You have no life in you. So he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you don't have life. He wasn't talking about cannibalism here. And it scared some people. It was like, what, what are you talking about? We're supposed to like eat you and drink you? Oh, that's weird. 
He was symbolically saying that we must continually partake of who he is. We must remain in him, feeding ourselves on his word, drinking in his very spirit, taking on his blood, because there is life, spiritual life, in his blood. Just as life is in the blood for our physical bodies, our physical blood, there's life in there for our physical bodies, there is spiritual life in the blood of Jesus when it's applied to our lives. And that's something that's mysterious, and it, it kind of blows our mind, and it's hard to get our mind wrapped around that to some extent. Sometimes we just say these things in, in our, in our uh, Christian walks and, and we, in our Christian conversations, and we don't ever take the time to meditate on what it really means. When we first get saved, I think most of us experience an overwhelming amount of emotions that, that just come with that decision. We ask him into our hearts, we confess him as our Lord, we ask him to forgive us, we receive his blood as the payment for our sins, and we are, in that moment, we're born again. Saved. Our name is added to the book of life, and all of heaven rejoices in that a sinner like us has been set free. The emotions of our soul react to what we are feeling as an entire being because one-third of us just came alive. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. We're body, soul, spirit, and if our spirit isn't alive until it meets Jesus, then when we meet Jesus, a third of us comes alive. That, that's pretty significant, wouldn't you say? And it overwhelms our emotions, that part of our soul. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we tremble. Some are so overjoyed in their soul that they physically smile. So, so the spiritual decision to receive Christ into your life affects not just your spirit because a third of you comes alive. Then all of a sudden, your, your, your soul is brought into it because the emotional uh, stuff starts coming out. We start leaking, right? I can't believe God would do that. And it affects us emotionally. That's our soul. And then it even affects us uh, physically because, man, we're, we're, we're trembling, we're smiling, we're lifting our hands. We do all sorts of things sometimes, right? So our entire being is affected by that. It's just interesting to think about these things. But, but we must also continue. That, that's not just a one-time thing, by the way. We must also continue in that nourishment of his body and his blood to continue growing and maturing. I'm not saying we have to get saved all over again. I'm not saying we've got to get saved every, every five seconds or anything like that. <coughs> but we have to continue in that nourishment of his body and his blood, taking and eating the flesh and drinking the blood, symbolically taking him in. Our spiritual life is in his blood. We must not neglect that. That's what I'm saying. As we keep applying the blood through our constant relationship with Christ, his blood seals our salvation in a way that we can walk in confidence of our salvation every single day. You see, I don't ever want to wonder if I'm really saved. The Bible says you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, you can know the truth about whether you're going to heaven or not. Did you know that? If you're hearing me online today, you can know the truth if you're going to heaven or not. And it will set you free when you know the truth. Well, how do you, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because if I give my heart to Jesus and I continually walk in his light, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Amen. I've applied the blood. I've taken in his body, his blood, and I am saved. 
Our physical body will perish and the life that is in it will eventually go out, but the blood of Jesus is not perishable. The blood will never lose its power to save us and preserve us in our faith. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you from your ancestors. I think it's interesting he says silver or, and gold especially here. Do you know that gold is one of the most imperishable things on this planet? You can set it in salt water and it doesn't deteriorate for, for years, for centuries, but it will eventually deteriorate. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, which, which gold, again, is not that perishable, but it is perishable. He's making a comparison here. That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot, blemish, or defect, which is imperishable. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power to preserve us. Its benefits are reaching 2,000 years later. Its power will not weaken with time. Gold and silver, money, which this world worships, is perishable. Invest your treasure, spend your money, buy the things you want. It's all gonna rust, it's all gonna corrode and eventually burn, but the value of the blood of Jesus will never depreciate. It never loses its power. Our physical blood supplies the oxygen and nutrients that are required for life to every cell in our body. If blood stops flowing to any part of our body, that part would die. When it comes to your life, spiritually speaking, when you allow the blood of Jesus to be cut off in any area of your life, that part will begin dying. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Barry? I thought I'd just ask Jesus in my heart and then I'd just go along my way and, 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 and that's it and I'm good to go. Yeah, you're good to go, but you have to stay in that continued relationship with him. You have to keep taking him in, taking in his blood, because it preserves and protects and helps you walk out that salvation. It nourishes your spirit. And if you stop communing with God, with Christ, you stop the flow of blood and of partaking of him in any area of your life. In other words, you don't give that area to your life. Well, I'm, I, I love Jesus in, in my good deeds. I, man, I'm living for him in my good deeds. I'm living for him with my kids. I get down on my knees and I pray with my kids every night. I read the Bible with them. I, I give them, I, 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 I'm, 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 Man, I'm with Jesus when it comes to my giving. I give, I tithe, I do all those things. I volunteer at church. I do all those right things. But what about your marriage? Maybe that's a good example. Yeah. We just kind of sweep those issues under the rug. We kind of just, hey, if we don't talk about it, we don't fight, and then we're okay, right? I'm saying that if you don't apply the blood of Jesus to all of your life, every area, the areas that you stop that flow, you stop pleading the blood over. You stop taking in Jesus in your walk and including him in that. Am I making sense today? Am I making sense? That part will die because blood brings nutrients. 
Just like our physical body, Jesus' blood brings spiritual nutrients. Our physical body, our, our physical blood carries away waste and toxins from ourselves. And so again, spiritually speaking, the blood of Jesus applied to our lives does the same thing. If we don't continue to apply it, sin will begin to poison us from within. Well, again, I thought I was one and done. Yes, you accept Christ and, and you're saved. I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. But you got to walk in his light. If you, can, if you stop with the flow of blood, taking him in, you stop that, sin will find a root, it'll find a foothold, and it will begin to rear its ugly head back up. Have you ever met somebody who was saved for years, and the older they got, the meaner they got? I have. How many look in the mirror and say, there he is? We are in a, in a, in a process called sanctification where we should be becoming more like him every day, right? not letting the world creep in, not letting sin creep in. The blood of Jesus applied, taking him in, partaking of him daily, his presence, who he is, his word, worshiping him, praying, being in communion with him. That's eating his flesh and drinking his blood symbolically. That's what, you're talk that's what I'm talking about here. When you do that, though, sin won't find a root. How do you fight those things in your life, those, those uh, uh, addictions and those sins that so easily beset us? And how many of oh, we all got sins that beset, beset us? Who's perfect in here today? I'm sure not. I need the blood of Jesus every single day because we mess up. White blood cells within our natural blood fight off sickness in our physical bodies. When bacteria or viruses begin to attack us, our white blood cells start waging war on them. And when we stay healthy, we are more protected from disease because our white blood cell count is up. Likewise, when we maintain our spiritual health, anything the devil can bring against us can be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. Truly, our spiritual life is in his blood. In the Old Testament, the blood had to be applied. We too must apply the blood, not the blood of animals. Thank the Lord for that. But spiritually speaking, we need to apply the blood of Jesus to our lives daily. That's drinking him in as we worship him, as we spend time in conversation with him, as we meditate on his word and his goodness. We need to speak it over our lives. We apply the blood by pleading it over every area of our lives in prayer. We speak it over our families. How does that look? How does that sound? We say, Lord Jesus, I have accepted you as my Lord and Savior. I have accepted your spilt blood on the cross as the sacrifice for my sins. And I know God, and we're going to get into all this in the next couple of weeks of how this works. I'm just giving you a little taste this morning. But God, I know when you look at me, you see somebody who's redeemed. You see somebody who's set free. You see purity. You see innocence. My guilt has been washed away. And I'm guilty, but it doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus washed my guilt away. That's the power of the blood. And Lord, because of that, I can plead that over my family. I can plead that over my finances. 
I can plead that over those things in my life that seem to get a little goofy. We do this again initially when we become born again. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you get saved, you're recognizing that he died on a cross, that his blood was spilt for you. You're confessing him as Lord. You're believing in your heart. And that word belief carries a lot of weight with it because it, 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 it uh, implies action, not just, well, I believe you, God. I like to say this sometimes. People that come up to me say, well, I believe in God. And I say, so is the devil. But that word believe there has with it, carries with it the, the, uh, the, the idea or the implication of total submission. Submitting. Submitting to Jesus. Then verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But again, this is not a one and done thing. Yes, we, we pray and we receive Christ and we are saved and we can be secure in that salvation. But we are also in a process, we have to be in that process called sanctification, which is the process by which we become holy. The journey we are all on to become Christ-like. And sometimes we decide that we're not, we don't have to be on that journey. Well, Jesus, you died. Boom, it's done. Thank you. There's whole denominations built on that. Hey, Jesus died, so all mankind's going to heaven. Woo! That's why we go to church on Sunday. We thank him. And then we live like however we want to live the rest of the week. There's something about that that isn't right. There's something about staying in his light, walking in his light, applying the blood, taking him in, drinking him in, having him be a part of every part of your being every single day that just doesn't allow that attitude to stay and to stick. If we don't, it doesn't take long for our new relationship to become dead religion. That is the definition of dead religion. When we think we can do whatever we want without any repercussion. Well, I prayed, so I'm saved, and that's all there is to it. Okay, if you do any, does that mean you can do anything you want? No. And some people say, well, well then you get in the argument, well, does that mean I'm not saved, or am I saved, or... Or if you, if, you do, if you think you can do everything you want, then you probably weren't saved to begin with. And round and round and round it goes, right? I'm not even getting into that today. I'm just saying truly saved people walk in his light. They walk in his light. They drink him in daily. They apply the blood. They think about the blood. They understand that the blood has given them life. That shed blood of Jesus Christ gives them spiritual life. First John 1, 7 through 9. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There again, this sanctification thing, this, this idea of taking in and understanding his shed blood. 
Church, and we have to understand the bride of Christ, that, that's you and me. We grow weak when we stop applying the blood. And we apply it not like the Israelites, physically sprinkling sacrificial animal blood everywhere and on everything. We apply it through prayer. We apply it by speaking it. Let me, let me give you this. Do, do you know what one of Satan's nicknames is in the Bible? Beelzebub. Which can be translated Lord of the Flies. That's what that means. Lord of the Flies. Flies are attracted to death. They feed off and lay their eggs in things that are dead. They carry disease wherever they go and they're attracted to waste garbage, dead flesh, and, and yes, to dead blood. Anybody who's driven down an Iowa road has seen this. What a perfect name for the devil, Lord of the Flies. But just as dead physical blood attracts flies, the blood of Jesus, the blood of everlasting life, it repulses Beelzebub. When we apply it to every area of our lives, it's like a repellent to the devil. It provides protection to us. It gives us life, and it keeps us walking in that life. I've heard many stories of those who were praying for someone who was demon-possessed, and as they prayed, they began to plead the blood of Jesus over them. At the mention of Jesus' blood, the demon would literally squeal and wail, and stories of, of them say, uh, speaking and saying, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that about the blood. The devil, who is the author of death, I mean, that's what Hebrews says. He has the power over death. The devil, he has, he has no match for Jesus, right? Who is life itself. And when I say death, I'm not talking about death in this life. I'm talking about real death, which is eternal separation from God. There is eternal life in the blood of Jesus Christ. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of our spirit man is in the shed blood of Jesus. And we need to remain in him. We need to keep on taking him in, drinking him in, partaking of him, applying his blood to our lives daily. There's power in the blood, power to give life. Our physical bodies are alive because of the life that's in the blood that flows through our veins. Our spiritual being is born again because we have, a, we have applied the blood of Jesus. And through his pure, innocent, shed blood, we have life and life everlasting. And it is through that same applied blood that we can continue to walk in his life and in his light. You know, I, I think sometimes we go through motions in, in, our, in our Christianity. We go through the motions in church and Things become very, uh, maybe religious, but they, they also become just, we just do these things. I grew up in a church where, you know, we knew where to stand up, we knew to sit down, we knew where to kneel, we knew where to, when the, when the pastor or priest talked and we talked back and we, we had all the things we could say and, and it was like, almost like mindless chatter when we talked back and it, it, didn't, it didn't mean anything in my heart at least, maybe it does for some, I'm not judging other people. 
might have meant something for them. They might, for me, it was just blah, 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 stand up, sit down, kneel. And Jesus was just nothing more than a religion. But you know, that same thing can happen in a church like ours when we don't talk about things like the blood. You know, the blood's not a popular subject to preach on. First of all, it's mysteriously hard to understand. It's mysterious. It's, it's just difficult. Plus, it's gross, right? People are like, don't say, don't say blood. I mean, and some people, some churches even kick songs out of the church like, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? You know that one? Because if you have a visitor there, they're like, these people are goofy. They're like washing themselves in blood. Isn't it interesting how blood is one of the most staining things there is? Hard stains to get out, but Jesus' blood washes every stain clean, right? Sin stain. It's paradoxical. I want to challenge you to meditate on the blood. For the next few weeks, we're going we're to jump into it. Words like atonement, propitiation. We're going to jump into redemption. I, I want you to understand, church, what happened when Jesus shed his blood? What really happened? Because when we take that communion cup, and we're going to do that on Easter Sunday, when we take that communion cup and we just go through the motions, it just becomes religious stuff that we do, and we don't know what's in that cup, we don't understand what happened on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. We don't really understand his blood and the power that's in it. We're just living dead religion. The blood from Genesis to Revelation, it is all the way through there. As most of you know, because you've read through the entire Bible. It's a theme. All the way through. We know the theme of the Word of God is the redemption, the unfolding redemption of mankind. But let me tell you something. The theme is the blood that has, that the, 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 the truth of the blood um, being the unfolding redemption of man. The blood of Jesus redeems us. I mean, that, that's the story of blood. You can't, you can't be redeemed without his blood. You can't be set free without his blood. You, haven't, you can't be ransomed without his blood. You can't be healed without his blood. You can't be saved without his blood. You can't be delivered. His blood is everything. It's everything. And it's not like our blood. It's way beyond. It's way beyond. We're going to get into it in the next few weeks, but let's pray this morning. And I, I, I'm going to challenge you with this. this. This week, I want you to meditate. Spend some time meditating on the Word of God. Praying, meditating on His Word, Take a Strong's Concordance. If you don't have one, look one up online and just say, give me all the scriptures on blood and read them all. It's like over 700, I think I said. But begin to read them. It's amazing what God begins to reveal to you as you look at what his word really says about blood. God, I pray this morning that we would have a revelation of your blood the power that is in it. Lord, this morning we talked about the power of life that is in it. Life for our physical bodies, yes, but your blood, life for our spiritual bodies. God, I pray that this would not just be knowledge, but that this would become revelatory within our hearts. It'd become revelation. 
God, that we would truly understand the depths. Help us to understand the depths of the preciousness and the purity of your blood. And I got to pray this morning. I got to ask this question. Is there anyone in here who has never asked Jesus into their heart? And you'd like to today. Yeah, that's me. I want to do that. I need to ask Christ to come into my heart. I need his blood to set me free. We're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. But Is there anybody? Okay. Okay. Let's pray together with these. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus. Come into my heart today. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I thank you for your shed blood that purchased me from my sin. Be my Savior. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.